If you've seen the Apple TV Plus show Ted Lasso, you know that Ted has a way of kind of turning our expectations on their head. He's not the kind of coach you'd expect. He's certainly not the kind of soccer coach you'd expect. And you might be wondering, wait a second, isn't this a church channel? Why is this guy talking about Ted Lasso? Well, in today's message, our senior pastor, McGray DeVega, is going to use a scene from the story of Ted Lasso to actually uh, illustrate and sort of bring to life a scene from Jesus's life in Matthew 9, 9 through 13, where Jesus has a tough conversation with some Pharisees. And we're going to see how Jesus kind of turns these Pharisees' understanding of what it means to include people on its head. So check it out. Let's pray together. Oh God, open our eyes to empathy, curiosity, humility, and to the way of the cross, that we might be generous and compassionate toward others and ourselves. Amen. Often in the Gospels, Jesus did things that raised eyebrows. These were moments that caused people to say, uh, Jesus, what in the world were you thinking? In today's scripture reading, we get not just one, but two instances when Jesus took conventional wisdom and flipped it upside down, beginning with the most controversial hire that Jesus ever made. In the very first episode of the wildly popular television show, Ted Lasso, the title character was a college football coach who was introduced as the new head coach of a professional soccer team in England. And his first press conference did not go well. He said his team would play hard every game for all four quarters, win or lose. Reporters had to educate him that soccer was played in halves, not quarters, and games would sometimes end in ties, not win or lose. And then the final reporter stood up to ask this fiery question. <clears throat> Trent Krim, the independent, I just want to make sure I have this right. You're an American who has never set foot in England, whose athletic success has only come at the amateur level, and a second-tier one at that, and you are now being charged with leading a premier football club despite possessing very little knowledge of the game. Ted Lasso responded, Is there a question there, Trent? To which Trent Krim replied, Yeah, is this a joke? Trent Krim was asking the question that every person in the room was wondering, Why? hire this guy. As it turns out, Trent Krim was also around 2,000 years ago, in a manner of speaking. Because when Jesus went about assembling his senior leadership team in the form of the 12 disciples, he made a controversial hire one day. He was on a road to Capernaum, a road that Jesus likely knew very well back from his childhood days because he grew up in nearby Nazareth. So his family would probably travel that very same road often to get to the larger, more cosmopolitan town of Capernaum to bring and take home goods from the markets there. And every time they would travel that very same road, they and every traveler around them 
would be required to stop at the tax collector booth. Everyone knew the routine. Stop at the booth, declare the items that you've purchased or are bringing to sell, and pay the amount that was due to the Roman Empire. And that was the price of Roman occupation, the cost of living there and doing business there. It was an ever-present reminder of the oppressive Roman rule. I mean, that, that was hard enough. But it was even worse because of the tax collectors themselves. These people were not Romans. They were Jews. Jews like Jesus himself. But they worked for Rome. And that's what made them traitors. And what's more, these tax collectors were opportunists. They were cheats. They were, they were frauds. They were notorious for charging people more than what was due to the Roman Empire and then skimming the excess to pocket for themselves. Basically, this was legalized criminal activity built on the backs of their fellow Jews. And you can well imagine that as Jesus walked that road countless times as a boy, he heard the stories. He knew about their detestable reputation. So, at the age of 30, when Jesus began his public ministry and he assembled his team of disciples, we, we can only imagine the controversy when Jesus stopped by that very same tax collector booth on the road to Capernaum because he walked up to Matthew and said two simple words, follow me people around him must have said, Jesus, what are you thinking? I mean, we can imagine a press conference in that very moment as someone rises to ask a fiery question. Yes, Jesus, this is Trent Krim from the Palestine Independent. So let me get this straight. You are creating a social transformation enterprise here to give people hope and move them to a better way of life, yet you choose, as among your coaching staff, a man with no demonstrated care or concern for ordinary people like us, and someone who has built his wealth and reputation on our backs. He is, he is part of the oppressive system, rather than trying to tear it down. Is this a joke? Good question, Trent. But notice for a moment how quickly Matthew said yes. No hesitation. I think it shows that God had been working on Matthew even before Jesus walked up that day. Maybe Matthew had already started to realize the error of his ways. Maybe, maybe he'd grown tired of bilking people for money and dealing with all the hatred and anger from others. I mean, it would be just like God to be working in someone's heart for a long time, long before a moment of epiphany and surrender. I mean, it's what God does in us after all, with what we call prevenient grace. And then Jesus comes along, looks into our eyes, and much to the astonishment of others, says these words to people like you and me, follow me. 
I mean, leave it up to Jesus to upend conventional wisdom and select the most unlikely and unfit people, people like Matthew and you and me, to be part of God's kingdom. Ah, but this is only the first of two eye-raising moments in these six brief verses in Matthew 9. Because immediately afterwards, they left for a dinner party at a nearby house. Now, in the ancient Near East, mealtimes among strangers were often occasions to seal new friendships or, or business partnerships. To formalize a relationship, you ate a meal together. And these dinners were often in public view, just like the one in today's scripture reading. And these dinners were occasions for the homeowner and the guests to raise their public profile and to, to demonstrate their new relationship for all to see. It was a chance to be seen with the upper crust of society, to show other people just how well connected and popular you were. So here's this high profile dinner party <laughs> and in comes Jesus with his controversial new recruit and the rest of his disciples and it would soon become very clear to the outside observer that this would not be a group of sophisticated, red carpet elite, but a gathering of the most scandalous and scorned in society. This would be less a classy dinner party and more a recreation of Mos Eisley from Star Wars. As, as Obi-Wan Kenobi might describe it, a wretched hive of scum and villainy. Now, the gospel doesn't tell us what kind of sinners there were. He doesn't, he doesn't tell us what they did to be called sinners. I think it's Matthew's way of playing mad libs with us so that we could fill in the blank. Now, if such a dinner party were happening today, who do you think would have been on that guest list today? What had they done that would have been so hard to forgive by our society today. And let's be honest, don't you think you would have been on that sinner's invitation list too? I mean, here's the other thing. Can you imagine the dinner conversation between Matthew, the new guy, and his new disciple coworkers? Hi, my name is Matthew. I'm a tax collector. I've served the Roman Empire. I've cheated people to build up Rome's wealth as well as my own. Nice to meet you. My name is Peter. I'm a zealot, a freedom fighter, and you represent everything I despise. I'd like to say it's nice to meet you, but I'd rather punch you in the face instead. <laughs> oh, and then there's this fella. Hi guys, my name is Judas Iscariot. <laughs> well, in these six verses, we would be right to question what in the world Jesus was thinking. He was doing all the wrong things to get his movement off the ground. He didn't glad hand the well-connected, but he attracted the misfits and the outcasts. He recruited people with no relevant experience or regard for team chemistry. He hired an institutionalist, an anti-institutionalist, and a guy who would ultimately betray them all and have him killed. So 
in Matthew chapter 9, verse 11, we hear the voice of this guy. <clears throat> yes, Jesus, my name is Trent Krim of the Pharisee Daily News. Let me get this straight. You have recruited head coaches who have no business doing this work and are attracting players to your team whom every other team has cast off and rejected. Corporate sponsors are walking away, Jesus, and word is the empire is starting to be suspicious of you. Is this some kind of joke? And so in verse 12, Jesus replied, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means, Trent Krim. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Yep. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. During my first year in seminary, I worked in the St. Vincent's Hotel an emergency overnight homeless shelter in downtown Dayton, Ohio. Every night, men, women, and children would come in off the streets seeking a warm bed and a, a hot meal and a hot shower just to make it through the night. The director, Alan Schmitz, was my supervisor, and he sat me down one day and told me his observations of what went on every night at the shelter. He said, McGray, every night, two groups of people come in through the doors of the shelter. The first group comes in through the front door. They're the hungry, the unhoused, the people who are left with, with virtually nothing except the will to survive. They come in through the front door seeking food and a bed and a, just a chance. These are real needs. The second group, he said, come in through the back door. They, they are the volunteers who come in with a, with a hot meal and a spirit of service. They will give of their time and their means to serve a, a hot plate of food and a warm smile and an openness to treat these people as human beings, as people with worth. And these people have needs too. These people have a need to feel like they're making a difference in the world, a need to feel like they're using their talents and their time for God for a greater purpose. He said, McGray, when both groups of people enter each night through the front door and the back door, when, when these two different sets of needs meet around the tables in our dining room, and when they share a meal together, that, McGray, is when church happens. To this day, that's one of my favorite images for the church. Church happens when grace and justice meet, when we see each other as equals, all in need of God's favor and forgiveness, when the old dividing walls that separate us break down in the face of God's all-inclusive love. At the end of the first season of Ted Lasso, we hear from Trent Krim one more time in the form of a column that he wrote about Ted's first season. He wrote, quote, his coaching style is subtle. It never hits you over the head, slowly growing until you can no longer ignore its presence. Whether that means allowing followers 
to become leaders or in a show of respect, eating food so spicy, it's sure to wreak massive havoc on his intestinal system. And though I believe this Ted Lasso will fail here and Richmond will suffer the embarrassment of relegation, I won't gloat when it happens because I can't help but root for him. Thank God for the table of the Lord. Thank God for the wideness of God's mercy, which draws people in who otherwise would feel rejected and harmed. And thank God that you have a seat at that table and that you have a chance to welcome people in. For Jesus came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the generosity of your grace and the wideness of your table. Thank you for inviting all of us, including those who feel like they deserve your love the least. Help us to do more than find our place at your table, but to give up our seat, to make room, to pull out a chair to make people feel honored, and to listen as you say once again, you call not the righteous, but the sinners. Your love is amazing. and We're grateful to make that love real for others. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for watching this message today. I hope you took something away from it that you can apply to your life about how you think about faith and how you think about Jesus. If you want to know more about our community, you can take next steps by going to our next steps page at hydeparkumc.org forward slash next steps. And if you want to take this message further, there are reflection questions down in the notes below. Check them out and I'll see you next time.